yeah, um, you know, so be it. I anticipated it. I um, think everybody anticipated it. And uh, not everything stays the same. I mean, Nebraska left us a long time ago to go to the Big Ten, and so that, that was another huge rivalry, you know, that gone by the wayside, and or it was every couple years we might play. But in the end, it changed everything. Things change. That's just the, the way of the world, the way life goes. Uh, so be it. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of incredibly big games in our stadium that will make up for that, I would guess. I guess you could just think about some of them that might be coming. Hmm. You can just think of some of them that might be coming, Coach Stoops says. Man, at which, you know, they are announcing the 2023 SEC schedule tonight in an hour less than in an hour now um it is my uh my theory my guess that the university of oklahoma's football team will be playing in the southeastern conference for the 2023 season those wondering when that is that's next year after this season we'll be in the sec I don't know if it's going to be announced tonight, but Tyler, I am steadfast in that prediction. I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm there with you, and I'm not going to change on that. There's just. There's been two big scheduling announcements for OU that have been made yeah. in the past week, man. I don't think that those right. are made if you're rolling in the SEC in 2024. So, no, I'm looking forward to being in the Grove next year. Gearing up for something. We're gearing up for something. Uh, with the scheduling news that's being released. like Why else today would they talk about the Oklahoma State Bedlam series not continuing? They're going in 2023. Now, the question is, when are they going to – are they going to announce that during the season, or is that going to be in, like, December, uh, like a little bit after the Big 12 championship game? Mm, Good question. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I think you should announce it on the field post-Bedlam. Especially if you like winning a route, be like, oh, by the way, SEC next. No, how about the podium when you accept the uh, Big 12 championship trophy? That's when you announce your uh, intentions on rolling to the SEC. This is our final Big 12 game ever. Uh, we will be in the SEC next year. Thank you, Bob Bowlesby. Well, I guess Bowlesby won't be there. It'll be Brett Yormark. I think you just dropped the like the almost unintentional soundbite of – like, if you win against Oklahoma State in Norman, be like, man, you know, it's just nice to win the last bedlam ever to take place. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let Joe C. say that in the postgame presser or Brent Vittables. I don't care. Just let it happen. No, I, I really do. Like, this not a like an act. I, You and I are both being genuine on this. We think that this is the last year in the Big 12. It's hard information just, to come by, but I, I do believe it's the last year. I just wonder why 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 the Southeastern Conference is releasing their schedule today. Um I it felt like and maybe it was at the same time last year. I just don't think it was. It is interesting that it's seemingly moved up like a couple of months. Yeah. 
I thought it was something they did like in the in the spring, like everyone else. Isn't that when everyone else does it? Whenever you're getting out your, um, that's whenever you know when like, when the location. I thought it was even like it in the winter and like in in like February, but I I don't know. I I do remember watching it last year, but I January. Okay, I was close. January twenty seven, twenty twenty one is when the SEC released the 2021 mm, football okay, schedule. Okay, I'll, I'll run with the narrative that this means something tonight, that they're releasing it a few months early. Let's see when the 2022 was. Uh, now, September 22nd, 2021 is when they released the 2022 schedule. So I guess maybe it was just later because of you're coming off of the COVID stuff in 21. Maybe, I, I don't know. But... Hmm. Fascinating. If Oklahoma is on the 2023 schedule, uh, the SEC releases, that pretty much would announce it, wouldn't it? Yes, text line, it would. If OU has an SEC schedule out tonight, that would be the uh, formal – yes, that would let us all know what's happening. Right. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it, uh, how it breaks down. But, yes, I, the, like before we move on back to the game on Saturday, since you're going to be off tomorrow, it's – I, the announcement today did not surprise anyone, but I'm just really annoyed that OSU has tried to, and maybe not so much OSU, it's just like some some OSU fans, I guess, is that they tried to paint this picture that, well, this decision happened today because it's OU's fault. In some back room, secretly, they decided to go to the SEC, and that's why Bedlam's not being played anymore. It's all OU's fault. I think that is complete crap. According to Josie, OU has tried to work with Oklahoma State to schedule football games in the future, and to act like it's all OU's fault is really I, – I think it's nonsense. And that's what's really annoyed me today. Yeah. And, and OSU has played this game, man, since the day that it was announced that OU was rolling to the SEC. Like, OSU made their mind up then, Teddy. They, might, they made their mind up that day, like, forget it, we're not going to play this thing anymore. This was not OU's decision. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Or at least, um, at least Oklahoma was open to possibly playing it and having that conversation and Oklahoma state didn't want to have any piece of it, which, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, I totally understand that if I was Oklahoma state, I would, I would be thinking the same thing. The difference is I'd have no problem saying it like, Hey, this is going to be fantastic for us. Um, sorry, Oklahoma went to the SEC. We're staying in the Big 12. We think this is an opportunity for us to uh, uh, to get ahead of the game, get out of the shadow, and you know take our best step forward. Yeah. And it is. I think I think it's going to help out Oklahoma State tremendously. Am I being too aggressive with my early week score of OU 35, K State 14? I'm just looking at K-State's offense, and I do respect their ability to run the football, but man, I mean, Adrian Martinez, 41-66 for 304 yards and one touchdown through three games, and their leading receiver doesn't even have 100 yards on the season. I just look at this as a game where OU defensively should play really well. Really yeah. well. No, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I think that the somewhat straightforward nature of of Kansas State's offense is 
probably, at least I, I think, I theorize that it's going to be one of the better performances for Oklahoma defensively, especially as they've really started to settle into these rules and how they're playing things and getting acclimated to, to the way that you have a game prep and 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 put together your, your game plan. I think they got a really good chance. Um, I think we can... I think we can do a really good job on the line of scrimmage. The the one thing is there's a lot of stress on the backers in all of these different runs and run fits that Kansas State has. And I I would say right now inside backer is probably the spot that's lagging behind kind of the other groups that have gotten better. It's not that they're they're not getting better. They're just, you know, there's still some stuff that, like the biggest improvements, I think, can come from the inside backers. Yeah, I I guess we just still haven't seen what gives this defense fits. I mean, the one big play that they've given up this year was that bomb down the seam uh, that Nebraska hit on on the first uh, touchdown of the game. So maybe the key to having success against this defense is you've got to be able to hit on the deep hole. If, if that's the case, then mm. I, I don't – I mean – I think K-State's going to have a tough time hitting on the deep ball Saturday. Uh, no, I agree. Um, I think the best, the, the like the Achilles heel or whatever you want to call it of this defense is, I don't think it's the deep ball. That's the only deep ball that's been connected on the entire season, and um, it came at a time when we were totally on our heels to start off that football game. And the real reason is because they were gashing us in the running game yeah. and the bubble stuff on the outside. So I think the I think the, the biggest way to attack this defense is in some of the underneath stuff in the intermediate route concepts in the passing game. The problem for KSU is that is not a strength of their team. They are a run-oriented team, and then they are a, a spread-you-out, and isolate you matchups out of empty in the passing game. They're they're not a work the middle of the field and the underneath stuff in the passing game team at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you can argue that K-State, like their most important offensive number other than total points on Saturday will be if they can get to like 38, 39 minutes time of possession. Like that's going to equal yeah. a lot of success for them offensively and be the one Achilles heel, I guess, for OU defensively. Uh, like, OU's got to yeah. get off the field against these guys, or that that's where this game is a real issue, is if Kansas State yeah. totally dominates you on, on that front. Well, here's the thing, though, you know, and I, I agree with you, and I agree that that's probably going to be Kansas State's mindset, but, you know, it's also a different Oklahoma defense than the past because that's the defense's mindset as well. Like what Kansas State is trying to do to you offensively is what we are trying to do to you defensively. A lot of zone coverage where we sit back, force the throw underneath, and rally up and tackle. And the whole theory behind that is like we're going to get a sack. We're going to get a negative yardage play. You're going to get a holding penalty. You are going to make the first mistake before we do. We're not giving you anything cheap. Anything free over the top, we're taking that away. We're going to force you to inch your way down the field. Uh, that is, that's kind of the new philosophy. Whenever you you watch them play, um, 
but Kansas State is going to try and run it and, you know, get easy convertible third downs. The whole thing is who wins first down. Can we can we stop them on first down? Can we get some negative yardage plays uh, in the backfield on some of those runs or whenever they pass it to put them behind the chains? I mean, that's the battle between these two squads. Yeah, there, there, is, a, there is a path here to where OU could have a very sizable victory in this game. Because as much as K-State's taken OU out of their element recently, OU is much more suited this year to take Kansas State completely out of theirs. And it'll, it could snowball on them quick if that's the case, man. They're going to have to have some real long drives in this game. I, I mean, at least I think. Um, I, I, right. I, I, I'm looking at StubHub right now, and this is Tuesday, man. And the cheapest ticket I'm finding is, let's see, two for $104 each in the corner of the end zone. I'm, like, really huh. starting to think that with the excitement that's building around this team – a night game, so I'm guessing the weather is going to be somewhat cool Saturday night. The new LED lights that everyone's so impressed with. You, you might have a little bit of a home field advantage uh, in this football game as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that this should be, with the excitement, with the way the team's played, with the fact that it's a night game, this should be, without a question, by far the biggest atmosphere we've had all season, right? It'll be disappointing if it's not, but all signs are pointing towards it's going to be like cuz I thought third state or third quarter against Kent State was awesome. And if third quarter against Kent State was awesome, I I guess I got to think especially if you kind of get off to a, a fun start, a fast start, that that place is going to be nuts on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I think it will. Um Offensively, why don't we talk about what we need to do offensively next? Does that sound good? And maybe hit some text messages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fast is a little preview for that, <laughs> in case you're wondering. That's yeah. a hint. Yep. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hanging out at Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails today. They've got their new, old-fashioned, handmade uh, bourbon whiskey. It's ready-made cocktail in a bottle. You can pick it up at local uh, local liquor stores here and they've got a promotion going you get a free bottle all you have to do is tailgate with a bottle of of scratch and take a picture tag scratch on instagram hashtag old-fashioned and bring a copy of the receipt where you bought the bottle from and uh show them the post and they'll hand you a new bottle right here at scratch kitchen and cocktail downtown norman stay tuned It is the rush live on the ref. We're the home of Sooner fans, Tyler McComas and Teddy Lehman. There's offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. And yeah, we teased it going into the break. What does this offense have to do on Saturday to have success? I don't think it's any different than last week, man. Uh, the running game was the key. I said last week if you run the ball against Nebraska, you're going to have a ton of offensive success. And man, listening to Joel Klatt's podcast earlier this morning, 
he's he's bringing up Teddy a, a conversation with Jeff Levy that he had last week before the game, and like Levy was saying to him that now that they're really going to open up the offense, they apparently have this real feeling that the offensive line and like their nasty streak is really about to show up, and they're about to start playing their best ball of the year. So it's the biggest matchup on Saturday for OU, but. I don't know, I'm kind of optimistic, even though they're going up against, by far and away, the best D-line they've played on Saturday. Yeah, well, against Nebraska, that was the the best, nastiest the offensive line has played all season by a huge margin. Um, Metallier was physical. He was blocking guys out of the back of the end zone. That was awesome to see. Had a really nice kick-out block on a power down on the goal line. That we just walked in. Um, Guyton played probably his best game. Wanya Morris came in and got some reps. Uh, Rain played his best game. Harrison played his best game as a Sooner. So it's something really good to build on. Now, how much fight did you have from Nebraska the entire game? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's I, you can't quantify that. I'm not even going to try to. What what you can say is. They showed up prepared, ready to fight, and they did for the entire game. And you hope that as they've gotten better and better, that that just continues here as they, you know, roll into a conference play. That's, I mean, we don't know other than we expect them to continue to get better and better. And I think that's going to happen this week. Yeah, well, that's just interesting. They, they feel like so confident, like, yeah, we're opening up now, just – Wait and see here with the offensive line. So, okay, I'm ready for it. Text line says, Teddy, will the aggressive nature of the front seven make OU more susceptible to the running back getting big chunks? Hmm. I don't – I personally don't think so. I think the less aggressive you are, the more susceptible you are to the running back getting big chunks. You know, the only way to explain it is when you're playing aggressive in the in the front seven, and you've got uh, your your gap sound defense to where that means you got a support player that's coming in to help. If you're not aggressive and you wait, then the offensive line is able to stay on double teams, get movement, and then sift up to the next level, and it creates. It creates the line of script, line of scrimmage level, and then it creates the second level. And whenever you have space in there, that's whenever running backs can start to dart around and juke in and out and turn things into big plays. On the other side, when you're aggressive and you play your your gap downhill and physical, what happens is you attack the line of scrimmage. They have to come off of the double teams faster. And you you hammer into your your the place you're supposed to go with some physicality. What happens is you create a wall all the way across the line of scrimmage, and that wall is where you stop running backs from getting going. If you wait and are slow to come downhill, that's when you get in trouble. You know, um, running game. Yes, it would be a huge key. I, I I'll be super giddy. Or uh, what did uh, what did Bosworth say with us on Thursday? I, I mean, I just giggle when I watch this defense. 
I'll just giggle like Boz has been doing watching this defense if they win in special teams against Kansas State for the first time in about 10 years. Because yeah. that formula of for special teams that they have, which I have no idea how that works, they had a really good number against Kent State. They've had really good numbers all year long, but like their number on Saturday, even with the missed field goal, apparently was just insane. So you win special 60. teams against these guys, then yeah, me, I, I'll like that uh, significantly, please. I'm still taking Bauman to return the opening kickoff. <laughs> I did laugh when Nebraska just kicked it out of the back of the end zone. I'm like, oh, well, there goes that. That Sorry, doesn't Teddy. count as a that doesn't count as a lost prediction hmm. or an incorrect prediction. I mean, you said that he would no return. bring the first return out. Uh, okay. I didn't say he'd bring the first return out. I said he will take the opening kickoff for a touchdown. The problem is that ball was not returnable. It's a pushed bet. Hmm. Well, you, so you're predicting it again on Saturday. So you're yeah. just you're just doing what I'm doing with picking games this year, picking against Texas and USC until it happens. It's essentially what you're doing. Yeah, there's no shame sure. in it. I mean, I no. no shame in it at all. Yeah, it's like it's like betting the the bad little. You know, the thing that pays 100 to 1 or whatever on blackjack, the, the put the one chip out there, right? you lose 50 times and then that one hits, right? And then it's like, yay, but you're down money. That's what's going on with the picking, picking the opening kickoff to be returned. Yeah. Um, there, it's going to happen. There seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy on how certain outlets view OU right now. Like ESPN ranked, I think, the top undefeated teams – and they had OU at number five, behind Georgia at one, Bama at two, Ohio State at three, and Michigan at four. The Athletic had them all the way back as the number nine undefeated team this year, with OSU at ten, USC at twelve. Or that was ESPN one, but that, I think they had like OSU at ten, just like right behind OU. Like, I'm wondering what the Athletic is seeing right now to think that this is the ninth best undefeated team in the country at this point. Well, I don't know. Probably the same thing they saw whenever some of their people didn't have OU in the preseason top 25. Stewie Mandel? Him? Is that who yeah. you're talking about? He's one of their, those guys. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, not important. I don't – I mean, I would like to hear their theory and, and just see what their what their worries are with Oklahoma because I have some. I No, but I have, I, some. I have one here. Here's Brandon Marcello of uh, 24-7 Sports. And he doesn't think, after three games, OU is a college football playoff contender, and here's why. I, I didn't know that Dylan Gabriel had issues in the clutch at UCF, but I guess some people are still holding that against him. He, can you play the back half of that again? He just said he doesn't see them as a serious contender for the playoff, but then he said they, 
but they will win the Big Twelve and contend. Oh yeah, I went off about like, so, I went off about that with Parker earlier. It's like you think they're going to win a Power Five conference, but they're not a serious contender. That doesn't make any sense, well, dude. He said they're not a serious contender, but they will contend in the same exact <laughs> sentence. I, I don't know. I guess there's a difference between contend and uh, serious contender. But here's the thing, okay? Georgia's Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, okay? I'll give you those three. Michigan. D- do you like Michigan's quarterback better than Dylan Gabriel? Quarterback or quarterbacks? They've started two already the first two games of the year. Exactly. Do you like Clemson's quarterback better better than Dylan Gabriel? I like Clemson's backup quarterback better than I like their starting quarterback. I'm on the record. You kind of see what I'm saying here. Some of these other schools behind them, like USC's got Caleb Williams. We'll see if they can make their their schedule unfazed. I don't think they're going to be able to, but we'll see. Kentucky's got the Will Levis kid who's pretty good, but they're not going to be able to make it through the East, I don't think, with Georgia in there. Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders, I'll take Dylan Gabriel, and I'll take Oklahoma in that matchup. Arkansas's got a good quarterback, but, you know, they're 3-0 right now. I guess what I'm saying is, outside of what you have with Georgia and then Alabama and Ohio State, the quarterback's not really going to be the deciding factor. Like, Dylan Gabriel's not going to be... Like lower than the rest of those groups. No, and that's you know like what I'm the, it's like one of the most confusing things going on with this team, or like in the entire sport right now, is this slander that Dylan Gabriel is getting. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand why. Fifty-two is seventy-eight, seven hundred and fifty-nine yards, seven touchdowns through the air. I think he has two rushing touchdowns and no turnovers up to this point through three games. Again, we talked about yeah. it yesterday. Were there a few throws that he'd like to have back? But, yeah, man, I think like, like there's a handful of throws throughout three games that we would judge as you know not great throws by Dylan Gabriel. I don't like, – I, like, we're judging him and saying that he's bad or not good enough based on, like, five missed throws? Seriously? I, I don't get that at, at all. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why that exists. I, I, I think it's a stupid take, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. He'll have he'll have plenty of time to continue to um, showcase what he's got. Week in, week out, these these groups are going to slowly uh, separate themselves, and the picture will become uh, way more clear. But you know, right now, I think he's he's done a you know pretty good job. He's my biggest complaints with Dylan Gabriel are. There, there's been some inaccurate throws, and he's taken too many sacks. Yep. Other than that, in the inaccurate throws, it's not that. It's not like it's that bad. He, he's, he's still an accurate quarterback. What's he like? Sixty-eight percent completion or something like that. Sixty-seven. Yeah, and I think he was like sixty at UCF. Maybe his last full year somewhere. So I mean, the, the, the accuracy numbers are better up to this point. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. And, and even the missed throws, man, like not all missed throws are created equal. Like uh, sometimes a missed throw is you for, throw it too far inside and it's a pick six the other way. Like the missed throws that we're talking about are he, you know, it sails to the sideline on third down and you got a punt. Uh, he throws it a little bit too high on an end zone shot and it goes in the back of the end zone and you might have to settle for a field goal. Like, yes, he's missed on some throws. 
but he's missed in the right spots when he's missed those. It hasn't turned into back-breaking interceptions or six points the other way. Do you know who has thrown for the most yards and the most touchdowns so far to this point in the season? Well, I feel like C.J. Stroud threw more yards and touchdowns than anyone else in college football just in their game on Saturday, so I guess that's my guess. Incorrect. Davis Brin, Tulsa. Oh, nice. 1,206 yards, 11 touchdowns. Look at T.U. Rain Kane. Yeah. Got to love it. That's right. That's right. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Got a couple segments left here at Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. We'll be back. Day once we hit 6 p.m. So an early look at some of these games coming up on Saturday. We got some good games on Saturday, man. Um, not all of the good games are ranked, but there's some fascinating games in the Big 12. Clemson at Wake. Here is Clemson's first real test on the road against a Wake team that is 3-0. Is this the week that we finally see the change happening? I mean, DJ Uyunglele's uh, numbers aren't terrible, but... It feels like a change is still kind of imminent for them at QB. And you know what? It really does. With Georgia Tech game, 41-10, not an accurate representation <laughs> close of game, man. how that game went down. Um, I Wake Forest is going to be a challenge. Offensively, uh, Wake is really good, good quarterback. Um do we see a change? I think we see the change the following week with NC State. I Woo! think NC State's defense is better. Ooh, I like that. This is a mess. They say the Klubnik kid is the is the real deal. Yeah. This is a massive game for 17th-ranked Baylor on Saturday. At Iowa State, 11 a.m., the Cyclones are actually a three-point favorite in this game. Um Baylor got to win this football game, man. And I think that they will, but this will be a close game in Ames. I don't feel great yeah. saying that I think that they're going to win, but I guess give me Baylor by like a field goal. Baylor's a, a three-point dog to ISU. Now, neither team has been great offensively. Against BYU, um, you know, Baylor ran the ball well, but they just couldn't break anything away for any big chunks and, and put some points on the board like like we've been used to them uh, the last last season or so. Balanced offense, they're still running it really well, 230-plus yards a game, but Iowa State, we know their defense is going to be pretty good. I haven't seen Iowa State play yet, so I'm excited about this. Is, is this an 11? 11, 11 a.m. Yeah, on ESPN2. Hunter Upper Deckers has eight touchdowns, three picks so far this year. 78 to 105 for 745. I would probably Man, this is so hard. I I didn't think I was going to say this 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 year, but for some reason I'm leaning ISU here. It's a fascinating game, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is like I I can't wait to watch that. I mean, 11 a.m., man, and with OU playing late, you're going to get to watch Clemson at Wake, Baylor at Iowa State, maybe even get to watch Florida at Tennessee, 2.30. 
Uh, Vols are just outside the top ten. They're a ten-and-a-half-point favorite. Remember that Florida team that everyone fell in love with? After oh, that yeah. win against Utah, remember when people were claiming that Anthony Richardson was a Heisman candidate? Well, he comes yeah. into this game zero touchdowns, four interceptions through the air on the year. Oof. Yeah. My, the tables have turned in the past two weeks after the loss to Kentucky and the close win over South Florida on Saturday. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. I'm taking Tennessee. I know, um, I know you give me a hard time for – the love affair with the Tennessee Volunteers. You picked him to win 15 by games this Josh year. Heupel. That's right. Um, but I think they're the better football team. I think they've got the better quarterback. I think they are uh, just in a little bit better position right now to to be able to to, to get the win. And it's at, it is it at Tennessee? Yeah, it's at Neyland. Yeah, give me uh, give me Tennessee in that football game, dude. Every Big Twelve team has a fascinating game. Um, yeah. OU, OU actually has the biggest spread by far out of anyone in the conference this week. West Virginia's at Virginia Tech. That's Thursday night. West Virginia is a one and a half point favorite. Baylor's at Iowa State. Talked about that. TCU's at SMU. SMU's got the better of TCU. Uh, what past two out of three years, something like that. TCU is only a two point favorite at SMU. Huge game they still for KU. Got, uh, Mordecai, who's yeah. uh, he's still lighting it up down there. Huge game for KU. They play three and Duke at home. Duke and KU are three and in football, and they're playing in Lawrence on Saturday. KU minus seven and a half. Massive game for both Tech and Texas. That's in Lubbock. Texas minus six and a half in that game, and then Kansas State at OU. OU minus thirteen. Every game in the Big Twelve oh. this week is interesting. Okay, who, who Kansas Duke? Man, I am so scared. Like, I, I guess I'm like factoring in or want to factor in some sort of a letdown for KU, but KU, I don't think they're going to cover, but KU's going to win this game. No cover. No cover. They win by There's six. Se- seven and a half point favorite. I think they beat Duke. I think they beat Duke 55. Jeez. 28. 55-28. Okay. Well, they put up 56, 55, and 48 their past three games, yeah. so that'd be number three right around scoring their offense average. in the country. Yeah. Jeez. Good for yeah, them. Number three scoring offense in the country, running it for over uh, 200 and, 260 yards a game rushing. Uh, so, And then outside the conference, you got Arkansas and A&M in, uh, in Arlington. A&M's a two-point favorite in that game. And I'm I'm hoping that Arkansas just runs up and down the field on them, probably like everyone else. Uh, there had to be some look ahead with Missouri State and Arkansas, right? What was going on there? <sighs> had to have been. I, I mean, to be down seventeen nothing and have to have like two seventy yeah. plus yard touchdowns to win. But I don't know how there was a look ahead for that because everyone knew that, you know, what the storyline is with him coming back to. Razorback Stadium for the first time in however many yeah. years it's been. Oh, maybe they just wanted to spot him with a, a nice little lead and chase him down. I don't know. Um, what do you think in uh, the Tech-Texas game? Six-and-a-half-point favorite for the University of Texas going to Lubbock. Uh, I think Texas uh, Tech is going to win that game. But, dude, Donovan Smith keeps turning the ball over, man. 
Ah. God, I mean, he's an electric player, no doubt, but he's got to take better care of the football. Uh, turnovers don't matter. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're Texas Tech, they do. You're not good enough to make yeah. up for it. Um, and then, of course, you got USC at Oregon State. And maybe it's just me wanting to believe it, but that just looks like trap written all over it. Yeah. I'll tell you, back to the Tech-Texas uh, game. Texas Tech is a – I know the Longhorns played Alabama. I guess, you know, Louisiana Monroe, Bama, and UTSA, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good non-conference. I was going to say that Tech is – the more tested team, and I think I still believe that, but I don't know. I, I'm i probably going to go with Texas to win it, but, man, if Donovan Smith can get rolling and not turn the ball over, as you said, they got a really good chance to pull the upset. Well, if Texas, if they beat Tech on Saturday, I'm going to guess they turn around and beat West Virginia the week after. And yep. OU takes care of business the next two weeks. I, look, I know every OU Texas game is big, but this would feel like the biggest OU Texas game in a while, man. Especially if Quinn Ewers is back, it'll feel like a giant game. When is the last time in a regular lead up that both teams have been undefeated? Um, I. Because they had lost to Arkansas last year, right? Yeah, Texas? they got pummeled by Arkansas. I'm looking at 2018 for Texas because Texas was ranked pretty high, I want to say, coming into that game, the year they finished. No, they had lost to Maryland that season before they played OU. So 17, hmm. they had lost uh, two games. 16, they had lost two games. 2019, they had lost to LSU. Um, 20... 2015, they had lost four. Four games. 2020, they had lost to TCU the week before that. Jeez, we're oh still going God. back. This is pathetic. 13, no. 12, no. I think 11 they were. I'm pretty sure 2011 they were. Yep. Yeah. 2011 they were. So the la- it's been and over a, a decade since. that day. Yeah. Since both teams came into this uh, football game undefeated. We'll see if that happens this year. Um, well, Texas can't be undefeated. That, They've already lost to Alabama, but well, still, yeah, that's right. it'll be well. They well, count it as a moral that, victory. I, yeah, I know it. It's that, felt like a win. win. Yeah, that's a win. Yeah, and it's a it's a loss that will not be counted against them in the state. They actually made it into the top twenty five after they lost. Oh no, they're two zero so, and one is what their record is. They're not two and right. one. They're two zero and one. Right. I saw something where. Um, <laughs> Was it the Jets? I can't remember. Someone, one of the teams that was, who tied in week one of the NFL? It was the Colts and Texans. Is that who it was? Someone in the Texans, yeah. right? It was, it, yeah, it was the Colts. I saw this meme where they're like, they're 0-1-1, one, and, one, and it's the best start to the season that, since they've, that they've had in like several years. That's amazing. It's pretty funny. Uh, pretty funny. All right, uh, quick timeout. More for the rush coming up. We'll wrap things up here from Scratch Kitchen Cocktails next.